Well, sir, yeah, we're getting old, every one of us. I mean, older every day. Time is going by. Time is a-wasting. And uh, you look back like I have been lately. And boy, I did, maybe I've wasted some time. I don't know. It's really hard to tell. I feel like I did. So that's really what counts. And yes, welcome. Thank you for listening to the Overnightscape Central once again. And for the time being, yeah, I think this is, uh, we're either going on a sabbatical or a permanent vacation. Uh, the, the banner is open. Anybody who cares to step in and run the Overnightscape Central, I am, uh, it, it's wide open. It's yours and to do with change, alter, adapt as you want. Because I don't know. Uh, it's become a mechanical process, and yes, I enjoy a lot of the fittings of running the machine that is the Overnightscape Central. I've been doing it now for uh, 13 out of the 14 years it's run, and I am the appreciator, Brett, a.k.a. PQ River, better known as PQ River in these here parts. And yeah, uh, we have Doc Slees and Frank Edward Nora here to share this uh, finale of a great run. This has been a fabulous time, but I don't know. I don't feel like I'm doing or saying personally anything new. It's like I'm going through the motions and I'm enjoying it. And it's, there is a certain, but there's got to be something new and different that I can do with my remaining time and years on this planet in this world, while whatever marbles I have uh, still jiggle around and function. So, yeah, for the time being, this is it. And uh, I thank you for being here and listening wherever you are in time and space, because unlike, as we often say here on the Overnightscape Underground, unlike real live radio, these shows are more designed to be almost any time, any place, well into the future, and certainly the way it looks well after uh, my existence ceases to be a current event. So there is that. And uh, like I say, we got Doc Slees here, and we're going to get started. And uh, I, I'll have stuff to say about getting old because uh, stuff is happening. I mean, I just had a tooth pulled that I did my dental care that over the last number of years has been mediocre, and I lost another tooth because of it, a molar. And yeah, I guess some people, you lose all your teeth and you get dentures and you move on. But I don't know, there's something in my vanity. And this, you know, your voice is going to sound different. The more teeth that go out, the especially once you start losing them front teeth, uh, it's a whole other ball game and you start, but, but you know, that you still have something to say, I suppose. And if I have something important to say, it doesn't matter that I might have that, I don't know, that denture mouth or whatever. I don't, yeah, it's all vanity and ego and uh, the idea that this is maybe could have been something bigger than this and somehow or other by not promoting, by not working harder, by not doing better, I held my own self back. It, I can't say. But yeah, getting old, it's, it's happening right now. And uh, let's hear what our good friend and uh, 
a favored contributor and one of the most contributing contributors, Doc Slees has to say. You know, when you look at the only viable alternative, getting old isn't so bad, really, is it? Um, yeah. If we're lucky, we all get to grow old. But um, that's the thing. It's a privilege, not a right. It's the way you got to look at it. Um, because there's just a lot of people who don't grow old, who don't ever get the opportunity to get that much older. Um, you know, and that's something you contemplate more when you yourself find yourself getting older. Um, I'm at an age now where I, I look I look back um, over my life. <laughs> I sound ancient there. I'm not, not. I don't think I'm that old. I look back over my life, and and I do think every so often about all those people I knew. Um, Uh, kids I knew at school, um, relatives, uh, friends, whatever, who had their lives cut short. You know, their journeys abruptly ended when they were much younger than I am now, and yet here I still am, you know. Um, it's not survivor's guilt, trust me. I, you're just left pondering and, and realising how much of a lottery life can be, you know. I'm still standing here. Um, no, I'm not going to go into an Elton John song. But I'm still standing. And sadly, so many of them um, aren't. Um, obviously, it must be very uh, even worse for people of, of an earlier generation to mine, um, you know, who lived through World War, something like World War II, when the people had their lives cut down very abruptly, um, you know, by the thousand. Uh, but then that makes one more accepting of, of sudden death um, and lives cut short, funnily enough, um, because it's happening all the time and you have no choice but to accept it. It's just something that happened and, you know, you just have to be sad for them but glad it wasn't you. I mean, that's what I've... I've gathered, talking to people um, from that generation when they were still around, who experienced all that. Um, I mean, my father, towards the end of the war, I've mentioned before, was a merchant seaman, and um, he served on convoy ship on on freighters and on, on convoy in convoys, and even late in the war, right up in fact till the German surrender, U-boats were still very active. The U-boat fleet was very active and still sinking Allied shipping, uh, merchant shipping. And so uh, father telling me it's just one of those things, you know, you you <laughs> you get up in the morning on your, uh, you know, the, the ship, you get up to do, if, if you're on early duties, you get up and um, you'd look out at the rest of the convoy and sometimes there'd be ships missing. You know, they'd been torpedoed during the night and gone down. Or they'd had to be left behind. It was the common practice. You know, um, they had to, if they'd been damaged in a, in a submarine attack, then they were very much on their own. You know, 
um, they, they basically had to make their own way back and take their chances that um, of the of the U-boat coming back. And on an aside, if that happened to you, of course, the U-boat in question or any U-boat that caught up with a, a limping vessel that already been damaged, merchant vessel, wouldn't even uh, waste another torpedo on it. Torpedoes cost money. They're expensive bits of equipment and you had a limited number on board. In fact, they, they'd surface and use that gun they had mounted on the deck instead to finish the job. There you go. Um, yeah, but... So I found the city's very young, but you just accepted it. It was something that happened, and you were just glad that you weren't the ship that had been torpedoed. You were still there with the convoy. You were still heading to wherever. But yeah, so there was a generation to who, because it was an everyday thing. Like, the, like they say in the, in, in the funeral service, in the midst of life, we are in death. Something when I was very young I never understood, but as you get older, you do understand that. that all the time, it's ever-present. You know, people get taken away in their prime, gone, without necessarily rhyme or reason. Getting back, I know this is very depressing, getting back to, <laughs> to personal experience before I leave this particular thread of, uh, of thought. Uh, I do remember the biggest casualty rate amongst people I knew, friends and acquaintances, came when I was in my later teens at school, when people started, um, contemporaries started to learn to drive, and worse, started to ride motorcycles. And God, there was a hell of a casualty rate amongst um, kids I knew, some of them I was quite close to, who died in in in, uh, in usually motorcycle-related accidents, sometimes car accidents. I always remember there was a horrendous incident when I was a sixth former. Um, I suppose it's roughly equivalent to U.S. high school, um, you know, 16 to 18 when you're in sixth form. And um, there was a kid who, funny enough, I had known at what we then called infant school they now call primary school and he, when we went to secondary school I didn't know him that way when we went to second he's a bit of an odd kid but uh, when we went to secondary mind you a lot of people said that for me when we went to secondary school um we went to different secondary schools and you know I lost track of didn't think of him then he turned up again he to do his A-levels, he joined the um, the sixth form of the grammar school I was at when I was in the sixth form. And by now, for some, somehow he'd fallen a year behind and he was a year below me. Anyway, what I remember was that when he turned 18, um, it must have been when he turned 18, he had his driving license by then and he and another kid borrowed borrowed his dad's so I can't remember what type of car, some very high-powered sports car. And they were racing down the country lanes um, just outside the town because, you know, I grew up in Salisbury, which is a provincial town in a rural area. And came round a corner and there was an agricultural vehicle, a tractor with like a plough or something on the back, you know, those 
bits of nasty looking agricultural machinery that attach the backs of tractors and when they're on the road it's raised up slightly off the you know so it doesn't foul the tarmac anyway they came around and of course he couldn't break in time went to the back of it to make it worse the car caught fire and i always remember the horrendous detail that the they, they I, I don't know whether they died in the impact or whether they burned to death in the subsequent fire but the horrendous detail i always remember about um he was so bad this kid was so badly burned they had to identify him by a wristwatch, which had an engraving on it. And I always remember that. It just stuck in my mind. It's such a stupid, pointless, and horrendous way to die. At only 18, you know, his life had barely begun. And I look back on that now, that was what? More than 40 years ago. I look back on that and I still remember it. And I just still think to me that... That that um, I'm so relieved that, um, unlike him, I have the privilege of getting older, basically. Uh, you know. <laughs> you know, you, you, you do ponder these things. Is there a rhyme or reason to all, or is it all just random? Is one of many things that probably is why I'm a relatively cautious driver, actually, because I, um, as I say, I, 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 I lost a lot of friends, acquaintances, or just people I happened to be at school with um, in that period. And it went on when I was it, when I was an undergraduate. You had casualties again, usually in road accidents, and a lot of, you know, it's often by then drink was involved. And, oh God, you know. And then as you get older after that, increasingly, even I remember in my 20s, you start losing people to, to cancer and God, you know, thing, and other diseases. And, oh, dear. And yet you have this thing, you find yourself carrying on, you know. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a sobering thought as well as you get older. And all these people you used to know fall away, so to speak. And you're the survivor. I remember, I can't remember, some family function once. I try and avoid them. Making the observation to my brother and my niece, my younger brother and my niece, that um, back in the past, we used when we were kids, we used to come to these things. And as kids, we there were all these uncles and aunts and whatever that, you know, were wonderfully eccentric, these weird old and old uh, you know, I said, you know, the thing is that now suddenly they're all gone and we're to the younger <laughs> people, members of the family. We're those weird old uncles and aunts and cousins and whatever. <laughs> it's, just, it's a sobering thought, a very sobering thought. And I was thinking about it the other the other day again. And yeah, yep. All those uncles and aunts, they've all gone though. I was thinking about it, they've all gone. All the, the ones who used to entertain us at family functions and whatever, or used to turn up usually at Christmas or whatever. Yeah, they're all gone. You know, my Uncle Charlie, Uncle Jack, Uncle Doug, and you know, all the all the aunts and uncles, Auntie Myrtle, Auntie Phyllis, all gone. Um yeah. Uncle Bob, I had several Uncle Bobs. Uh, 
I think most people do. Hence the thing, you know, the, the saying, and Bob's your uncle, because everybody has at least one Uncle Bob. I had several. All gone. All gone. Same grandparents, all gone now. I still have one parent left. My mum's still around. She's in her 90s now, but she's still around. Um, yeah, it's a sobering thought. Yes, yeah, a sobering thought. The oldest of my siblings is my sister, and she is, oh, God, what, she's, she's 12 years old. She's 71 now, which I find hard to believe. But, you know, time rolls on. Time rolls on. But the thing about getting older is as long as you, you're reasonably fit physically, um, I find, and as far as my words is true for a lot of other people of my age and older, you know, I've spoken to about it, you don't feel any different inside. I don't feel like an old man. The only time I felt that way was a few years ago when I was very ill with blood pressure problems and, and whatever, um, which all been subsequently resolved and all, it's all down to work-related stress. And um, that's the only time because my life was just dominated by aches and pains and headaches and, oh, you know, the world closed in on me and, you know, it, it, it affected my enjoyment and everything. Since, since I resolved all those problems, um, no, I don't feel any different now again. I don't think I feel any different than I did, you know, when I was in my 20s or 30s, 40s. I don't feel any different. I know that physically things have changed. You know, age has obviously taken its toll on my body physically. I don't have the endurance I used to have when I sort of go out walking and things. And although part of that is due to some of the medications I take. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have the stamina I used to have for exercise. Um, I have to take more breaks. <laughs> I admire the view more now and I've learned to slow my pace down as well. I used to walk very quickly. And I've learned to slow my pace down. And um, it comes with age. Nowadays, it's slower because, yeah, I'm older um, and I don't have that stamina, as I say. But I get to admire the view more, enjoy the journey more. See, it has compensations getting older when it forces you to do these things, you know. Um, but for all that I don't feel old, I have now reached an age where, disconcertingly, I find other people regard me sometimes as being old. Over the past couple of years, I have on several occasions been referred to as an old man, and I resent that. I don't feel old. I don't think I look particularly old, to be honest. Not to me. I look in the mirror and I don't. OK, my hair is grayer and thinner than it used to be, but I don't think otherwise I look particularly old as such. And I expect it, you know, it's something you expect um, to be thought of as being old by young, by much younger people. Teenagers, damn, I remember being a teenager. You thought anybody over the age of 25 was old, you know, in all seriousness. Um, that's the way you think, you know. Um, you know. I mean, damn it, I know my bloody 
great nieces think I'm I'm bloody ancient and that my mother's a medical miracle for still being alive at her age. But (laughs) I expect that from them. They're teenagers now. (laughs) It's only to be expected. But I resent it when it's people who I don't think are much younger than me who think I'm old. Uh, (laughs) I don't feel it. I don't think I really, I particularly look it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's very, very irritating. That's the irritating part of getting older to me. Isn't that I feel different or I feel more limited in what I can do. It's other people's bloody attitudes. Um, and they make assumptions about you. Um, you know, I remember last year, it was last year or maybe early this year. Anyway, I was, um, I was in a, in a shop buying a newspaper and when I got it off the, the stand as ever I'm sure it's the same in newspapers elsewhere in the world it's full of bloody bits of junk mail sort of stuff you know flyers and leaflets are stuck in it and of course they all bloody started falling out and I thought well just to be on the safe so I'm going to bloody shake it to make sure the rest there's nothing else left in there and these two People came, walked past, and seemed to think I was some elderly person in some distress over something. Oh, can we help you? I mean, trust me, they weren't didn't work in the store or anything. And I had to really restrain myself from saying, and excuse my language, fuck off, you patronising bastards. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't. I just glared at them. You know, no, go away, you know, basically. Mind your own business. Jesus. Yeah, I resented that. I really did. It wasn't as if I was bloody walking with, I had a walk, you know, you think, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't fulfilling any stereotype of an elderly person, you know. <laughs> Didn't have a walking stick. It wasn't hobbling along. You know, something like that. Struggling with my shopping basket. I mean, for God's sake. Don't patronise people because you think they're old, you know. They're, they're older than you. They're always elderly. No, I'm not bloody elderly. As far as I'm concerned, the term elderly applies, can be applied, I think, to people maybe when they get over 70 or 75. But, you know, below that, you're not elderly. You might be an older person. You are not elderly. Jesus Christ. You know, <laughs> you know. I'm not even 60 yet until next year, until February next year. Then I turn 60, which is quite a a bizarre thing. Not because of, you know, lamenting, oh, my God, I'm 60. I'm one foot in the grave. Uh, It's just I'm amazed, you know, that suddenly I got 60 looming up. It seems only yesterday I was 40. You know, where does it all go to? I mean, I was in my local pub the other week, and um, funny enough, I'd been thinking before I went in there about people, reg- former regulars I hadn't seen in there in a while. And one of them I was thinking was, was Scotch Davy, who I hadn't seen in there. Now I used to see it even when I didn't see him in the pub. I used to see him around. And funny enough, there he was propping up the bar. And I was chatting to him. And he was telling me, you know, he's nearly 80 now, incredibly. And that's why we don't see him in there so much. And also that, and, and about real health is why we haven't seen him around. 
I said to her, that's crazy. Like, I said, you know, I'm nearly 60 as well. So, I mean, yeah. how did that happen? <laughs> you know, it seems like only yesterday I was coming into this pub as a, as a young man for the first time. You know, it's when I moved here. It's all flashed by. But yeah. As I say, a lot of it is, is it does get me, is perceptions of age um, on the part of younger people these days. I mean, okay, I was just as bad. <laughs> perceptions about age and whatever when I was young, but now they seem to be so out of kilter with reality. Um, it's an interesting thing. I, 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 I was reading somewhere a while ago. For instance, nowadays, um, in the medical profession here in the UK, um, they now tend to classify um, middle age as is, is, um, extending up to about 75 now. You know, uh, whereas we all, in the, as in the past, you know, you got to 65 and after that, you, you know, that was your usual pension age. And after that, you were, you were old, ancient, you know. Um, some old crock but it's not seen that way now because people generally stay healthier longer lead more active lives longer and what's also very true is and i'm sure other people of similar ages to me listening to this um will remember this when i was young old people really looked old you know and not so old people looked really old you know, you used to, when I was, I don't say, you know, when I, 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 I was sort of nine or ten, <laughs> in all seriousness, um, I would have, that would have been, what, the early 70s. People even in their late 40s looked old often, unless they were film stars. Um, they could afford the plastic surgery. People in their fifties, particularly, God, they 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 look the way now people, I don't know, in their mid seventies might look. You know, there's been a huge change uh, from that from that point of view. People look a lot older. People look a lot better than they used to, largely because of huge improvements in healthcare here in the uh, the the. The developed world, we've had huge improvements in healthcare, in lifestyle, diet, and so on. And as a result, you know, we look better longer, we feel better longer than we used to. We can lead more active lives longer. Um, and it puts this idea that once you get to a certain age, oh, you're past it, whatever, it's completely out of kilter with reality, that perception that some people have. Um, and I say I do find it now increasingly irritating, this idea that, you know, oh, he's an old man, whatever, you know, because as I say, you know, I neither feel nor look particularly old. I certainly don't look the way people of my age looked when I was in my, you know, even in my 20s. You know, it's changed a lot. People need to get used to it. But age brings its benefits, of course. Age brings its benefits. Um, one of them is self-confidence. Trust me, I mean, you get, you get, as you get older, that's one thing you find. 
is you care, or at least you should care less and less about what other people think about you. And you, you are not so um, afraid to sometimes vo to voice your opinion when necessary, when you think it necessary on certain subjects. Um, you know, I, I, I really don't care. I mean, I live my life the way I want to live. I really don't give a bugger. Uh, other people think, you know, why the hell should I? I've made it thus far in life. You know, why should I care what they think? I must be doing something right. Yeah, why should I care? Yeah. Embrace the age. Get out there and, and embrace the benefits of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yet, still, there's this idea about age is somehow seen as a badge of shame almost particular people in the public eye and it's particularly unfair these judgments on, on on women about their age the number of bloody things i see particularly on youtube or online where they look at let's look at you know what so and so who was uh, some sex bomb in 1976 looks like now and whatever you know and it's all like ridicule oh they look up you know no all they did is it particularly focuses on women as i say all that's happened is they've grown older and there's no crime in that. You know, I'm sorry. You know, it's, it's just the way it is. We grow older, we change. It's just the way it is. You know, um, stop trying to shame people for being old. You know. But there's this attitude, you know, somehow you get old, you're worthless as well. Now, we would hope that that idea would have gone out the window a long time ago. And yet, and yet, here in the UK, we have all these, I'm not exactly revelations, many of us knew it was bloody going on at the time, um, uh, our COVID inquiry into how the government handled COVID, the COVID crisis, the answer to which is very badly, uh, <laughs> reveals senior government figures, most notably Boris Johnson, we're actually saying these things. Well, you know, mainly affects old people. They just have to accept the fact they're going to die anyway. So, you know, what difference does it make if they die? Die a bit a few years earlier. Blah, 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 blah. You know, um, that was the attitude they had. What complete and utter bastards. You know, in fact, I heard that sentiment expressed quite a lot by quite a lot of bastards, actually. Um, this thing, oh, well, it only affects us, well, it only affects the like, people who are already sick or, or people who, who, who are old and whatever. You know, why should I care? You know, you know they're going to die anyway. We're not, <laughs> you know, but yeah, well, you better hope either that you never, ever get ill or that you never grow old. Or you better hope that the people that when that, if you do get sick or get old, you better hope that people who are your age then are more compassionate than you bloody well are now. Sorry. Uh, end of my little rant there. It's something I feel very strongly about. Um, absolute bastards, the people who come out with that sort of thing. Yeah. Because if you're old, you don't matter. If you're old, if you're sick, you don't matter. Or we do bloody matter. But yeah. Benefits to being old. 
yeah, you can get away with a lot more when you're older. Um, yeah. As I say, you, you have more of the courage to argue with authority. Um, I certainly do. God, dear. I used to always come off second best when I was younger, trying to argue with, uh, with, with authority because I was too hot-headed. Um, as a combination, I was too hot-headed and I was too full of myself. Um, I thought I was being clever and I wasn't. I've had a whole string. I mean, OK, in the scale of things, they are extremely minor. But I've had a whole string of results over the past few years as I've got older and taken a more measured approach to confronting authority on certain issues. Uh, yeah, you know, I've, I've, I've scored quite a few victories now. Say, all on a small scale. But to me, they mattered, you know. Uh, so yeah yeah one of the benefits you see you 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 that greater self-confidence and the fact you don't care what people think so much means you can go in these situations and also increasingly but i found that at work and not just at work and anything when you're dealing with authority with authorities the people you deal with generally when you get to my age, all much younger than you. And to some extent, you can use that to your advantage because you've got more life experience than them. Um, they're all reading things off a bloody page. They go and buy a rule book somewhere. They've been told they've got to say this and do that. As you get older, you realize that's bullshit, a lot of that. <laughs> and, you know, you have lessons in life. You know how the world really works and you can use that to your advantage. And I have several times now. And uh, yeah, I've got the results that I wanted. Other advantage of being old. Well, you get more if you're lucky. If you're lucky, you've got more financial security. Um, sadly, there's still a lot of people who don't as they get older. And for them, growing old isn't so much fun. Um I mean, I have, I don't have a mortgage anymore. I, I own the, this house. I've got my, you know, I've got this bricks and mortar investment. I have money in the bank. Um, partly as a result, partly because I'm very good at saving money and I'm a skin flint. But partly because when I bought this house, the mortgage I had on it, it was an endowment mortgage. I don't know if they exist anywhere other than the UK. In fact, they don't really exist here anymore. But there was a time when all you did with a mortgage was pay the interest and you had an endowment policy that um, was a bit like a, well, it was run by whichever financial institution you'd taken your mortgage out with. It was the, this endowment policy. It was based on share price and whatever. And the idea was, yeah, it's based on the deposit you paid and everything. And the idea was that by the time your mortgage came due after 25 years, the endowment policy would have grown to a size whereby it would pay off the outstanding capital on the, on the mortgage. You know, you paid the interest and the outstanding capital would be paid by that. Um, now, they didn't, in the time I had an endowment policy, uh, endowment mortgage, didn't go according to plan because of the stock market and everything 
didn't play ball. So part way through, I, I, I changed a bit and I, um, I basically I agreed to pay half, half. So I paid off in straight repayments half the mortgage over the sort of the last 12 and a bit, 12, 13 years or so of the mortgage. And um, gambled on the endowment paying off the other half of the mortgage. And when it came through, it did, because I bought this house at the time when house prices were very low. Um, so it didn't actually have to, to, um, to mature that much to pay off that remaining half of the house's value. And it did spectacularly with money to spare and um, quite a bit of money to spare, which is why I don't work at the moment. Um, I gave up work. I'd had all that hassle at work. I'd been made ill. I did, and then after COVID, I thought, to hell with it. I, they're complete bastards, the people I work for. I don't like the job. I'm going to um, jack it. I've got money in the bank. I'm going to jack it in. So, you know, I've got this. And that's the best way I can use this money to transform my life. Is to say, to hell with it. I'm not going to work full time anymore. I'm not going to work for these people anymore. If I work, it would be purely doing part time things I actually enjoy doing. And it won't have to be for huge amounts of money. That's something you can only do when you're older because of the 25 year mortgage and everything. And on top of that, anyway, as I say, next year, early next year, the first of my, um, I have two work pensions will start paying out to me as well. And they come with a lump sum as well of money that I'll get paid into my account. So, hey, and when I'm 67, I get my state pension, so which I've paid in for my, during my working life. So there you go. So I can look forward, going forward, to increasing financial security as time goes on. Once I get to 67, I can look forward to my 70s. So I'm still around that long. <laughs> to actually being financially with the work pensions the state pension paying out um to being actually in in a pretty good condition financially um where i can pretty much do as i like um you know and even between when i get my work pensions next year and 67 we'll get the state pension again I'm in a good position financially. They're not off. They don't, they don't, won't pay a fortune to work pensions, but hey, it's enough to live on. Uh, you know, it will pay the bills for me um, and leave me with plenty of room for manoeuvre. So, yeah, there you go. Another one of the pleasures of growing old. If you've paid in for pensions, they start to pay off. If you've got mortgages, they pay off and pay you out money and whatever you have endowment policies pays you out money. Getting older can have its advantages but there you go um yeah yeah i'm trying to think uh, <laughs> about getting old you know as i say so far so good for me getting old but you never know what the future like i mean it's, it's you know one of those things isn't it it's every age brings its own benefits and growing older as you get older um, particularly get as old as some of us old fogies who contribute here uh, you know it's it's 
it's a great time. You can, if you're lucky and you've got a reasonably secure sort of situation you're in, you can look back on your life and reflect. And equally, you can still look forward. You know, there's still potentially, um, as long as you can keep your health, um, potentially, there's still a lot to look forward to. Um, yeah. Still plenty of things to do. Things are, I mean, I, I take, I take, um, I take heart from the fact that, as I say, my mother still is in her 90s and still going. Um, I had an aunt who lived to be 101. Um, so, you know, it's all in the genes, they say. So there's hope for me, yeah, you know. But we never know. Yeah, it could be run over by a bus tomorrow. That presupposes there's any running around here, but, you know, with the schedules as they are, you know, local bus company's terrible. But, you know... We never know what's going. We never know what the future holds. At the end of the day, I don't. Getting older isn't something that people should be afraid of. Sadly, though, as I say, I'm I'm lucky. I'm in a good position, but not everybody is. And if you're ill, if you're um, financially insecure, whatever. I mean, I do know of people my age who are still scrabbling around. They, they don't certainly don't have work pensions. They're still scrabbling around trying to make sure they've made enough contributions for the state pension. They don't actually own their own home or, or, or have any security in their rental situation or whatever, or their work situation. They're still scrabbling around, desperately doing zero hours jobs and whatever, you know. Um, so I've been lucky, very lucky. Um, as saying, if you're lucky, getting old is nothing to worry, no, nothing to, to get overly anxious about. But there you go. Circumstances do vary. Anyway, on that rambling note, I'm going to say back to you, PQ, you old codger. Oh, yes, Doc. Uh, it, it, it's really remarkable. Uh, you hit on all the notes. I mean, yes, I... Up until recently, I didn't even think about, you know, getting old. I don't know. I'll be fine. There'll be work. I'll do this. I'll do that. And uh, it, it just seemed like getting older was fine. I didn't feel any problems health-wise. And uh, just the last few years, it suddenly is coming to roost that, yeah, I, my work situation is unstable and because I've been there so long and the way the world has changed over the last 20 years, the things that I felt were skills now aren't so much in demand, marketable skills, um, and to friends and the people you know who, you know, you usually when you work for people who are older than you and you know people who are older than you that you can get advice from, they're dropping and have dropped quite a bit and passed on to the next world. Um, I have one, uh, my maternal set of parents, my mother and my stepfather, not only are still kicking, but uh, rather, I mean, they're about 80, but they're in good health and good. I have no 
you know, I don't wish them a shorter life or anything. Uh, they're doing fine for what they are. They had some money set aside. They own a house. They're doing okay. Um, but me, I never, I was always frugal, but I use that to work as little as possible. You know, like the grasshopper in the story, the grasshopper in the ant, just make enough and eek by and everything will be fine. And uh, also probably my, uh, I mean, people talk about marijuana like it's nothing and it's no big deal, but the amount I was doing, and it's, I don't think it's a big deal per se for most people. Uh, it's hard for me to say I'm not a doctor and I don't even think the verdict is 100% in on it, except, of course, that any kind of smoke going into your body in large amounts on an everyday basis is probably not good for you. Um, but uh, I, I didn't really get sick enough. I haven't been to a doctor or really a dentist in... 20 years, and I'm fine. You know, I'd get sick, but not that sick, and I'd uh, usually continue to work and work my way through it, and everything was fine. But now, I am just now turning 63, and everything all at once is this realization that, yes, I have been a grasshopper. I have a little set aside, but it's not enough to really with all the way things, I mean, rent where I live, and I think where everybody lives has gone up quite a bit. It's more than doubled where I live. The price of food for everybody, uh, I don't, it's, it's well above this inflation rate that is publicized. And um, just everybody, even people I know who are financially or I perceived as financially stable, they don't perceive themselves necessarily as stable as maybe they felt they were. And I worry. I sincerely worry. Um, a lot of the people that I thought were friends, uh, and the other thing is, well, for me, uh, and a lot of people, I suppose, having a significant other as a housemate, uh, finance mate kind of helps, and I haven't had that in ages. And at this point, there is nothing really on the horizon that would be like that. And the idea of hooking up with somebody because of financial need doesn't sound like a really good idea of either sex, a housemate or a uh, you know, girlfriend, potential life mate. Uh, these things are just not something that you reduced to a financial situation, although I'm sure there are lots of people who are together as much for financial need as affection. It's, it's you know, hard to judge because we only know the people we know, and you don't even really know people that well. And the older you get, the less people are willing to let people in on their, per I mean, I generally keep my personal business to myself, and most of my personal business, I try to keep to myself. And uh, yeah, and as far as, you know, the, this podcasting, I, as I said earlier, I feel like there's nothing new I can say. 
and I don't want to turn into this Kermit. I, I was, and I have been in a lot of ways. And in ways, it's kind of funny when you're curmudgeon-y and you're uh, bitching and complaining and pointing out that this is this and that's that and look at this and look at this person and, oh, isn't that ridiculous? And now I'm feeling that that's probably not where I want my thinking and mind to dwell. I may change my mind. I mean, I do have that prerogative. Like I say, I am in a position now where I really don't feel secure. I mean, I am that doc. I know you had a horrible job and you had to work hard and you work for people with policies and that you are at, were able to do all that and you pull through. Good on you. Uh, I'm almost envious. And I'm glad that at 60, you're in a position where you really probably don't have to work. And if you do, it's a few hours here and you can pick and choose. Uh, the other thing is the town that I live in has changed drastically. It has gentrified. It has become a more upscale sort of a place from a place where people who kind of had a lower income could come and live and work out and everything will be fine. And uh, now, number one, uh, with this warming, whatever we call it, I mean, I was denying it, but let's face it, every year it has gotten, well, I don't think this summer was as hot as the summer before, but it's hot. And uh, cooling a place to where it's bearable with the power costs going so skyrockety, that costs everything, costs a lot more than I would have projected just a few years ago. And uh, the work that I do, I like doing, but it's not one of these growth industries where I'm going, I am, or I have any line of making more money uh, anytime in the future. I probably, for the time being at least, have some sort of steady income going, but it that's it. Uh, it's really... It's a tricky thing, and I am still finding out my legit end up. More interestingly, I'm finding out that my dental situation isn't as stable as I thought it was, and uh, who knows? I mean, you lose enough teeth. Uh, like I said earlier, you don't talk the same, and yeah, I've got a vanity. Supposedly, I have a really good voice, but you know, I guess the brain, at least what's left of it, is still there. I mean... Even that, I don't feel I'm as sharp. I feel I have a tendency to repeat. I forget things, I think, a lot more often. Uh, and and here's the catcher. Uh, just recently, I don't know all the details yet because I've just found it out, but I have what they call COPD, which, thank goodness, I stopped smoking everything. And it seems like, in general, I'm not showing any of the bad symptoms of it yet. And there's probably treatment I can do. But from somebody who never had to deal with doctors or medicine and never afforded medical insurance and all of that, suddenly I'm in a position where I may have to have some sort of regular medical care. And that's... Uh, and, you know, I could live... You know, I'm sure... People with COPD who take care of themselves 
and uh, live a relatively healthy lifestyle. I could live another 20 years, but what am I going to do for the next 20 years remains the question. I mean, my stamina, like Doc says, you get older, and I'm noticing it, like, notably. I get tired easier. Uh, sleep isn't as easy to come by at the times I want. I mean, I, especially when I was smoking weed all the time. Anytime I felt like sleeping, I pretty much could lay down and uh, if not fall right asleep, pretty quickly could fall asleep. Um, and the things I was interested in seemed to suddenly be this rut that I've gotten into and taking on new interests is a little trickier and you have to learn jargon. And I'm really finding that picking up new jargon, like I was uh, studying a little bit of philosophy with my friends and picking some up, but all of these terms and jargon that's involved as you go along in philosophy that perhaps other people, it's like grammar. I, for all my potential relatively decent use of the English language at 63 as a speaker and somebody who works in a language and has written, I don't really 100%, I definitely don't know the terminology, and I probably don't even know my grammar that well, which, yeah, all of these spooky things that uh, I, sure, you know, the one thing I have learned in life is if one doesn't panic, you keep your head down, you look for your opportunities, and you keep going, you'll be okay, which, you know, okay is better. I mean, I look around, I'm in a town of senior citizens. There are people younger than me whose health is nowhere near as good who live here. I have watched people my age and younger uh, become ill from this, that, or the other and pass on. And uh, yeah, I'm finally looking, you know, I look in the mirror and no, I'm not that younger guy anymore. I mean, I don't think I look horrendously ancient, but uh, yeah, I've looked younger. And that's kind of, you know, once your self-image is shifting, which I guess it never did before, that hits you on some sort of inner, I don't know, in my guts or something. Hey, I'm getting old. And it's the first time I'm realizing it. And uh, yeah, like I say, it's an ego and vanity thing. I always, oh, I'm going to live forever. I have these genetics. I can eat whatever I want and I don't gain weight. And that's another trick that I fell into. Just because I don't gain weight doesn't mean all the sugar I was eating wasn't bad for my teeth. And all the stuff, uh, the, the greasy stuff and the salt, that these things are, you know, not that good for you. But I am eating a better diet. I'm mostly because, you know, I used to eat out a lot. But because of the cost of food, I'm actually cooking for myself and learning to do that which is a good thing because I think that's going to make whatever transitions happen in my health and life that much better and doable. And uh, maybe after all these changes and I settle back in to some new routine and constant, uh, perhaps take on another career or jobs or something, uh, I will be more prone. I mean, I plan on continuing an occasional appreciator, and I definitely want to keep doing the shows with Mark Rose about Zappa, but 
Uh, yeah, I think this is, for all intents and purposes, for the time being, the last overnight scape satchel. Um, and I do reserve the right in two, three weeks. I could change my mind in a month, five months. I, you know, I did it when, you know, I thought I was done with the overnight scape central back when Jimbo took it over. And once he passed, I just, I said, I can do this. And I did. I mean, I've done it pretty much on a regular basis for the last, what, five years, week after week, only missing a couple. And I feel good about that. I'm kind of proud because in my life, this kind of creative thing, I've never been this kind of consistent with. So these are all good things. And uh, yeah, I, I think I've dribbled enough on this. I'll have more to say, I'm sure, uh, before we part company. And we've got Frank Edward Nora talking about getting old. And uh, yeah, we have all, I mean, Frank lost his parents this year. And that makes you stop and think, I bet you, a whole bunch. And I, I Denise uh, with her health things. And yeah, you look around. And all of a sudden, yeah, you were young, but maybe you're getting... And Frank, Frank's a young guy. I mean, he's still in his, what, 50s? And uh, yeah, I'm I'm getting that uh, 70 isn't that far away. And you may notice as you get older, time goes by faster, or at least seems to. It doesn't... You know, when I was 12, just getting to be 14 years old and getting working papers and working, it seemed like it took forever now two years go by and like time distorts what you think just happened happened a few years ago uh and you forget the things that you were doing last week it's i'm don't know i, I getting accustomed to this is a little tricky anyways let's hear what frank nora has to say about getting old yeah I went down to video game connections yesterday and the guy that runs it is named Mike. And uh, I, I talked to him a little bit about getting old. You know, it's funny because the store, uh, I, I first met him, strangely, at the very same location. He opened his new store down in Howell, New Jersey on Route 9. You may have heard uh, on the Overnightscape that uh, I, I, I recorded there. I, I recorded there, talked to him. So I met him there in 91. And he eventually opened a store in that same uh, plaza and then moved across the street to Howell Center. Uh, so the store was open all the way from 91 uh, as a table at a flea market uh, and then finally shut down in early 2003. Uh, and he decided to bring it back. He brought back Video Game Connections in the original place, the original plaza that he first had the business. And, uh, you know, he opened about six weeks ago, and uh, I was going to go, but of course my wife broke her shoulder the day before, so I wasn't able to go down to the grand opening, but I went down there, and it was great catching up. And it's just sort of like we're both, like, now 20 years older. And, I mean, I've kept in touch with him a little bit over in, in, the, in those 20 years, but really not very much. So I knew he had children that were <coughs> uh, obviously much younger. Now his kids are, like, 28 and 22, you know, time is really <coughs> going fast, getting older. I mean, it's weird. Like, I sort of feel like I'm, I, I, you know, you never really know what does it mean to be old, you know. It's, I mean, I feel like, 
I've, I've sort of, <coughs> you know, being 56 now, I feel like I've sort of crossed a threshold into, uh, at least I, I guess the way people would view me, I'm just, I'm like an older, I'm a middle-aged man. I'm older. It's weird. But I was talking to Mike about how, you know, you don't really feel any difference inside. Like he said, he sort of, he felt he stopped aging mentally at 37. That was kind of weird. I don't know. I mean, I sort of, I sort of, I think it's fairly universal that, and this is kind of like um, one of those things that people don't generally, I don't know if people talk about it, but you know, you see people like growing up, you see people that are older and you sort of assume they must feel old inside and, and, and right the way you perceive them. But it seems fairly, fairly universal that people are like, most people, I don't feel any different inside than I, you know, from when I was younger, you know, in my 20s, I still feel the same inside. Just the exterior appearance is getting a little bit uh, worn out. Um, yeah, so it's a strange phenomenon. Uh, and of course, having and seeing the people, your friends and family <laughs> getting older and then dying, of course, getting older always seems to end with dying. Uh, which, you know, that's sort of the way of the human world. Um, you know, so I do remember, you know, my grandparents getting older and dying. And now my parents, in the past two years, both my parents died of cancer, both of them. Um, both around, around 80 years old, give or take. Uh, yeah, so I'm like 56. How much longer till I get to 80? 24 years. Well, what was 24 years ago? 1999. So wait, you're telling me I remember back to 1999 like it was yesterday. So that same span of time, I'll be 80. Great. The hell, man. I you know, I mean, uh, you know, I think that uh, this... Uh, scenario that we're living in as these uh humans that uh are uh have such short lifespans in comparatively speaking uh, provides us a, a really such a different experience than you might imagine in the next world over perhaps where we're actually from or where we actually are projecting into this place we don't know where uh you know things are much more permanent, you know, immortal, immortality. And in fact, you know, this concept of mortals versus immortals is kind of baked into our uh, mythologies and religions and legends and stuff, right? The mortals versus uh, immortals. Um, you know, I've, I've theorized about this whole, the whole reason behind uh, aging and death, you know, uh, I, I feel like uh, one theory is that uh, humans were a genetically manipulated form of a, a different race of beings meant to perhaps secretly colonize deep dimensions and uh, without the support of any <coughs> um, advanced society, that is, you could drop a, a population of maybe a few thousand humans in a deep, hidden 
dimension, our, our, like a world, like this world, Earth, but let's say it's abandoned, you, you have enough humans to sort of start colonizing it. They can sort of build up societies, build infrastructures. Uh, but again, that they're, they're going to be disconnected from the larger society. So the, the idea here is that, right, imagining the next world over, as is described in many religions, there's everlasting life, right? And one way of looking at it is that um, <clears throat> um, a, a biological body, like a human body, they are in biological bodies, but that, right, there's, if you were to look at the human being from a, from a broader perspective, you would see that there's the physical body, and then there's what may be known as the, uh, to known to some as the astral body, right? A spare body, sort of an extra body, which is sort of interesting because we hear a lot about astral travel and we hear a lot about ghosts and things like that. And it seems to me that um, uh, as a uh, construct method that, <clears throat> right, there's the physical body and then the astral body, which it's always been kind of maddening to kind of try to understand, well, what is the astral plane? What is the astral body made of? And I've theorized in the past that it is actually another physical body, but in a parallel volume, separated by mere millimeters, perhaps, of, uh, it could even be less than millimeters, of 4D space, Right. And uh, you can sort of visualize it in the same way. The, the way you visualize higher dimensional geometry is, right, we're in the third dimension and we're talking about stuff in the fourth dimension. So you can say two is to three is three is to four. So that great book, Flatland by Edwin Abbott, which opened my mind to this uh, dimensional geometries, talks about a world of of intelligent creatures that are completely flat. They live in a two-dimensional world. And we could imagine then almost like they're living on a piece of paper, you know, and then imagine you put another piece of paper on top of it, right? That to them would be an alternate dimension or an astral plane. So imagine Mr. Triangle. There's the main triangle body. And then there's an extra triangle body on the next piece of paper up and connected in some way. They actually talk about a silver cord connecting the physical body with the astral body. These things are awfully specific, you know. Not to say that makes them true, but does specificity lead to truth? I don't know. That seems like a tough one. Let me have some rye. I have some uh, dickel rye here. Hmm. Dickel's kind of on the same level as Bullet. It's like acceptable. You know, it's cheap. $30 a bottle. I ran out of liquor completely, so I got some Dickel. Dickel rye. Sounds like something an old man would drink. Yeah, baby. <coughs> so anyway, the idea is that we have this uh, astral body, right? So the idea is in the next world over, right? Uh... 
you will have a physical body and then an astral body. And then if the physical body, the so astral body is in a is in a, a place, a, vo, a three-dimensional volume, which there's really nothing there, right? There's not much going on. So there's not much of an opportunity for your astral body to get like hurt or injured or anything or get diseases or anything. It's kind of this sterilized dimension in a way. This, this is all speculation. Um, so the idea is you are inhabiting both right now both of those bodies. You're in your physical body and you're also inhabiting your astral body separately. But that, and your astral body does have all the characteristics of a of a, of a physical human body. It has eyes and ears and everything else. But the idea is that in your normal waking consciousness, what you're seeing in the astral plane is 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 uh you know maybe one one millionth of in terms of a, a signal to your consciousness than what your physical eyes are seeing right so the idea is that um you have these senses but they're completely drowned out by the intensity of the experience of, that you're having with the physical senses physical body main body senses but that would explain why some people have more psychic ability or more ability to see ghosts and things because they're more in touch with their astral body and using those actual senses. The idea is that there's nothing mystical, magical about any of this stuff. It's purely, if you were able to see it from a larger perspective, you could see it's all uh, physical, material, physics, and things like we that we already understand. And I do think that uh, there is a concerted effort to steer people away from this because whenever the idea of the fourth dimension comes up, I've had it happen dozens of times. People were like, let me stop you right there, Frank. The fourth dimension is time. <laughs> it's universal. It, it's an utter brainwashing for people to think the fourth dimension is time. There could also be a fourth spatial dimension. Anyway, um, so the idea is that when your physical body dies, you uh, kind of uh, exit that body and you transfer your full awareness into your astral body, right? Which is itself not permanent, but it is, uh, uh, you're still you. You have your same mind, your same memories, and yet now you're going to be kind of like in that you're in that other place, which it seems that there's some capacity to, it's so close. You can sort of, when you're there, you can sort of see through into the, into the main world as a ghost, right? So you literally, when we think of ghosts, they're there, but they're not there. That is, they're a hair's breadth away through the fourth dimension, but super close and physical, you know? So the idea is then, all right, so you've died, and now you're in your astral body or your ghost body, whatever you want to call it. And uh, so what happens next? Well, I think that that's a major question. I know that when we talk to the sorcerers out in uh, New Mexico, in the Space Castle, you can find an episode of the Overnight Escape called the New Mexico episode from, is it actually still last year, 2022? I think so. Um, they talked a lot about that existing after in the afterlife in this in this other body, but you're sort of in peril. 
that uh, you could fall victim to any amount of mis- mishaps, predators, what have you, in that other world. And they were saying, uh, uh, Q and uh, uh, Twyla, right? Yeah, they were very specific about that stuff to uh, <clears throat> make sure that when they get there, that they'll be okay. Because they're, they're implying that some people get over there, get kind of uh, destroyed in the afterlife, in, in that you are in another fragile body, like our human bodies are. That's not to say that there's not then another body, perhaps a celestial body, if you want to use a term like that. They could be nested like Russian dolls. Um, but of course, it seems like a lot of religions are setups to kind of get you somewhere after uh, you know, you die. And so the idea is that, as I imagine, the next world over, heaven, what have you, that's such a charged word. It's like It's become almost meaningless, but... Like the words like God and heaven, like I, it's when people hear them, they just sort of have their own whatever impression of these words. But so the idea is in that next world over, there is a technological framework infrastructure where, right, I think they can uh, craft a human body that would be, um, would not age. Right and 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 would be free of disease, but still subject to perhaps accidental death through injury. In that case, you will uh, enter into your astral body, and they will be completely aware of the astral bodies in that other place, and they would be able to. Kitty, Mister Mojo, what are you saying? They would be able to grow you a new copy of the main body using that technology we've seen in countless science fiction shows a big vat with green liquid that they grow a new body in then you can just take your astral body and settle in and now you're you're back in business you have a new uh, body and that's immortality right um and i think that you know the use of these Bodies, uh, as as in my opinion, um, largely due to the experiential quality. That is, uh, no matter like we're we're sort of dealing with us, what we really are, our consciousness, our awareness. Think, of course, you know, virtual realities, Neo jacking into the Matrix, you know, by plugging a plug into the back of his head. Right. It seems like there's something going on at many levels. Uh, I think that the next world over, which you might call heaven, where there is immortality, may be another very sub-dimension in terms related to what we really are, right? Because it seems that these physical bodies are produce a, an experience for the consciousness that is very... Um, what's the right word for it? It's it's worthwhile. It's interesting. It's uh, moving. It's a work of art in a way. Um, so we're sort of establishing now, you know, kind of like out there somewhere are these beings that are us that and they're plugged into some kind of matrix. We really don't know the nature of those beings, which is strange because we are them. And 
I was theorizing that there is some mechanism at play here which uh, inhibits us in the moment from being fully aware of who and what we really are. But I think that it may relate to what I was talking about. I think that we can't fully block out that knowledge, but we can sort of flood it. The intensity of our experience waking consciousness as a human being on planet Earth could be a million times more intense than the sense of who we really are. So I don't think we ever really lose the sense of who we really are or what we really are. It just sort of drown out by the experience. That is, you can sort of turn up the volume on the human experience and turn down the volume on the sense of, you know, the sense of who we really are. And it would be almost like that wasn't there. Anyway, so even that world we're talking about, which does have immortality, again, is a, a lower dimension, is something that is part of a construct, part of a scenario, whatever. Why then this particular scenario where uh, we don't really know, right? We don't have access to technologies. We don't have technologies that can do anything with the astral plane as far as we know. And it's left to be another mystery as to what happens after we die. Of course, religions tell us you might go to heaven or you might go to hell to be punished eternally or whatever that toxic idea came from. Um, in a way, you might say uh, people that lived on this place, this earth, that were particularly interesting or good people may uh, deserve to be resurrected in heaven. But if you're, you know, not particularly interesting or, I know that's a horrible thing to say, you're not interesting, but, or you're just a bad apple in some way, better not to resurrect you and sort of flush you through the reincarnation system again. That's sort of an idea, right? That's one of the major ideas, right? That you can uh, be reincarnated. So you're an astral body, and then there's a new baby that's being forming in a, a mother's womb, and you can sort of zap into that one, right? You may have to sort of let go of your astral body and then maybe just inhabit the celestial body, and then you can attach your celestial body to the new astral body and the new baby. Or, like as I said, you can kind of uh, go go live in that next world over, uh, where, where you do have access to immortality. But the idea is that, um, as I've theorized it, that if you were to create a version of these humans to live independently of like, the society I'm describing has uh, advanced technologies that can address all of these things, um, as you're going into these deeper places, right, it's still the physical world and you're still subject to injury and disease. But if there was no aging, as that would have been an option in these remote places um, where, as we can see here in this world, this world can be very cruel, can be very painful in many ways, um, both in terms of uh, kindness and in terms of practicality, right? Knowing how humans form bonds with one another and will take care of one another 
um, if there was no natural aging, right, I would think that in the rough and tumble world of these subdimensions, most people, as they're getting older, would accumulate injuries, uh, lose lost limbs, lost eyes, etc., um, just through the act of living and damage caused by diseases, and yet could still be alive. And it would seem cruel to kind of set up a system where someone would have to live for hundreds or perhaps thousands of years in such a disadvantaged state. Additionally, the societal resources that would be taken up taking care of all of these people that are immortal but seriously degraded um, does seem also very inefficient. So for multiple reasons, that's how I theorize that they added the uh, the death system in because we are not the human bodies. We're using them temporarily for an experience or perhaps to accomplish something. In the case where there is suffering involved of at all levels, including a death trigger that um, will not go past 120 in general, uh, would seem to be like... Uh, A good idea. <laughs> Death is a good idea. But I'm saying, let's say this is the kind of thing where you're trying to figure out, do you want to do it? Do you want to incarnate as a human uh, or a cat or whatever? Uh, Kitty, what are you saying? They want playtime. I'm coming soon, Kitty. So we're going to have playtime. Don't worry about it. Yes, Kitty, coming soon. Um, let's say... Once you sort of commit to the incarnation, let's say you're literally plugging a, a wire in the back of your head in that other world and you're committing to a human incarnation, right? You, no matter what happens, you know that 120 years later, you're out. You're back to where you can unplug yourself. You see what I'm saying? Most likely a lot less than that. You see what I'm saying? You don't have to worry for it to be this protracted thing. You're kind of guaranteed to get a break after X number of years. And again, as I said, it's, uh, you know, in order to, and, and, it, and it may be more that, because if you think about it, there could be, uh, considering the super technologies involved, you could create a human that, would be able to regenerate lost limbs, lost eyes, right? This is certainly, we've seen some of the animal world, this, these capacities. We have a healing capacity. Our skin, for example, is our biggest organ, and it generally can uh, self repair itself, sometimes leaving scars, but it has this repair capacity where limbs cannot regrow on humans and eyes cannot regrow on humans and things like that, teeth. But they could, Right? You could imagine creating a human that would be essentially immortal. I mean, obviously, complete physical destruction would would cause death. I mean, that would always cause death. But uh, unless you're like talking about a superhero level thing, like a Wolverine or something. But 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 then still, if you're if the inhabiting consciousness is, uh, you know 
if it is a commitment, the idea that you can that it won't only last a certain amount of time. Uh, and you might imagine it's sort of like our entertainment venues, like yeah, oh, let's go see a movie. Like you go see a movie, and a lot of movies are ninety minutes, two hours. Some movies are real long, like four hours, what have you. But <laughs> generally speaking, the movie is going to be of a limited length. You're not going to be stuck in the movie theater for like years and years and years. You might say that if a human life is almost like watching a movie to the to the versions of us at higher levels, they want to have a time limit. They don't want it to be going on forever. Um, but this idea that it was sort of first developed as uh, this idea that it's cut off from the main society. So the idea that in heaven, and again, that's not a good word to use. I'll use the next world over. Right, You could live as a human, immortal, and have no particular fear of death because it would, no matter what happened, you could always regrow a new body and keep going. right? And this is actually illustrated in a, it's described in a book called Lord of Light by Roger Zelazny in that technological way. Uh, people that sort of fancy themselves as versions of the Indian gods, the Hindu gods. I haven't read that book in a long time. So, as you might imagine, the quality of living life there would be one kind of quality of life, a kind of an experience, right? But if this other branch of humans that that had this built-in aging and death thing, aging where... Your body gets uh, weaker. Your hair gets gray and other things happen. And eventually, if nothing else gets you, you'll die of old age, right? Which my grandmother kind of did at age uh, 97, you know. The idea being that if a population of humans are cut off from that means next world over society with all our technology that the death thing would be necessary in order to uh, make it all work. One theory is that it was a, 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 a group of these beings call them Anunnaki perhaps. Um, it was a secret project. It was something they didn't want everyone else to know about. They were trying to finding these deep worlds to colonize and did these genetic experiments, essentially creating an offshoot of Anunnaki that are human uh, with the whole death thing involved. And also, of course, the uh, <clears throat> the capacity, as I was mentioning, to forget who you really are. If you're, if you're projecting in, as a human, one of those lower dimensions, the ability to cut off knowledge of who you really are would be very helpful because that could be extremely distracting and it could be especially trying. You'd feel trapped, you'd feel annoyed to be there, etc. But this veil of forgetfulness is something that sort of would allow us to sort of uh, live down there, which is down here, um, without without worrying, without in, in some kind of comfort, right? Psychologically, uh cutting off the knowledge of who we really are. So the idea would be then this uh, plan was uncovered, was discovered 
by the larger society of Anunnaki, and uh, it was considered horrible. How could you do this? This is cruel. This is terrible. But my view on it is that it, it could have been seen that, yes, it's terrible, but the experience you can have living as, a, as, as one of these mortal humans is qualitatively different than living as a human in the next world over. That is, it's different and it has its own value, right? Living with our advanced aesthetic qualities, our advanced cognitive capacities, and yet with this knowledge of an impending death with no idea what happens afterwards, um, is uh, produces a kind of experience that is quite different and has its own value, and it's a valuable experience. So the idea is that they built this world, Earth, for us mortal humans to live that mortal human life to its fullest, to with the aim of uh, producing ex- an experience. So it is, yes, it is ultimately art and entertainment for beings at a higher level. There's no real purpose for it. It doesn't it's this world is not really consequential in the larger scheme of things. But the experience you can have here with its aging and death, all the highs and lows is essentially like a work of art. That's what I'm trying to say. And without the aging and death thing, it would be a very different work of art. It would be, it would not be the same thing. It would be a very different thing. But um, yeah, seeing uh, you know my parents, for example, I, I guess it was at some level fortunate that neither of them experienced um, extended pain, as my mother. Uh, only found out she had cancer, and then like a month later, she she was she had passed away. She found out about it so late, but there was never a protracted time of extreme pain, which you do hear about, which is horrific to think about. My father's, you know, was a bit, I would say, similar, but he he knew he had cancer, but then it was very treatable. He was able to get back to work, and uh, it wasn't until. Uh, earlier this year that things progressed really it wasn't the type of cancer that was supposed to spread that much but it did and um, he it just a few months later he was gone um, he at, towards the end he wasn't able to walk and I know that was a big burden on him um, to be dependent like that on other people um, but yeah, it's sort of a, a diminishment of our, phys- of, of our capacities, which feels so scary. My wife works in a nursing home, and I've been there, and you know, it's sort of where we all end up. I know they say in other countries they have much stronger societal values, and there are no nursing homes, and friends and family and communities take care of the elderly. Here we have nursing homes where people go when they're getting towards the end. Then there's the other side, which is the Alzheimer's disease, which I have really not known anyone. Like I have had not had anyone in my family that had uh, that had that uh, issue. I mean, I think a little bit of forgetfulness, but not the full blown uh, Alzheimer's, which you hear so much uh, as a terrible way for someone to go, where they uh, start losing their memory completely, 
and there's you know a lot of Alzheimer's wards in the nursing homes. My wife has specialized in that as well. Um, yeah, and it's uh, it's a very difficult part because it's people that are sort of losing themselves. They lose their capacity for. Uh, they retain initially. They can retain older memories. But like decades of time is or wiped out. People that learn some people that say learned English later in life, like they'll they'll lose the ability to speak English and they can only speak their original language. Very scary idea to sort of uh, fade away that way and exist sort of in the, confused in the moment, and it seems like a, a torturous, terrible. Which all sort of leads to all of the pain and suffering related to aging. If this really is just an art project, can you justify all the cruelty and all the suffering for the art? Again, it's all pure speculation. We don't know. We don't really know how this all thing, this whole thing, got set up. But yeah. But yeah, you know, like uh, I guess at work, I've been. People think I'm like younger than I am. <laughs> like I'm fifty six, but they. Sort of assumed I was just in my forties. I guess I came across as being younger. Now I never had children of my own, so I know that the stress of parenthood can really age someone. I've seen it in in some of my in laws. The uh, how it age it tends to age them, and then I think it can help to contextualize your life. If you have children, then your children grow up, then you have grandchildren, and they grow up. It helps you sort of contextualize things. Like for me, I don't have that. So I'm sort of like in this weird continuum of like, wasn't it just like 1992, like recently? Oh, wait, that was like 30 years ago. Now, wait a second. You know what I mean? But I'm sort of in this sort of state of mind where it, I, of course, acknowledge and understand time is passing, but it just feels rather curious being this far ahead in time you know and then yeah just sort of like the awareness that how people would view me as this older person you know whereas you don't feel old inside yeah but you know i i saw you know at at one level you could say uh geez it's all downhill from here what a bummer (coughs) but you know there's that uh you know, the human capacity to sort of adapt to situations, contextualize situations, and find some sort of contentment in this situation. Um, right. So it's, it there are those uh, mitigating factors. It could seem quite horrific looking at it from certain perspectives. Um, <clears throat> but... You know, I I know part of uh, specifically what we have here in Hansug Radio, the idea of uh, preserving this stuff on into the future, uh, overall gives me a good feeling that the work I'm doing is will will sort of have some meaning in the future. It will not be completely meaningless. At the same time, I feel like in my worldview I am constantly thinking about the next world up the next world over and no I don't know 100% but 
you know, I think I was uh, watching. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was like a podcast, video podcast with Dr. Stephen Meyer, who's an interesting guy, super smart guy who kind of argues on the side of intelligent design and stuff. And then this other guy who was a skeptic, but they both agreed on kind of a, a what they called Bayesian perspective, Bayesian or Bayesian, which is that, um, and something I've said too, sort of from my own perspective, that any particular conclusion, outcome, idea, you can apply a, a percent to between one and 99%, never zero and never 100, because you can never be certain at this level what is going on. Um, but if I were to say, you know, is there life after death? Do you continue on in some way after the physical body dies? I'm pretty much at a 99 at that point that there is more going on. In terms of what it is, I can't say specifically. I mean, as I said, we are the consciousnessness. We are the higher beings. It's us. And we have to know at some level, even here, even me being in my basement here, uh, recording for Central, at some level, I must know, but I can't quite access it at the moment, right? But some aspects of getting older, it just sort of seems like it's, you know, people going to retirement communities, getting the blue plate, the blue plate special at the the dining area, playing golf and whatever. I understand that it can seem kind of pointless and meaningless at some level. Um, and how people are sort of sort of looked looked at as being sort of worthless when they're old or being kind of pointless. Yeah. But like my father specifically, he's he said, you know, towards the end, he's like, listen, I do believe in in life after death. He's like, I'm not scared. I just I just want to sort of take go to the next level at this point. And it's tough. I mean, it is it is tough. This at the end of life stuff, it gets very messy. It gets very and there's all these issues that, you know, like I know in Canada now they're pushing a lot of this medically assisted suicide which is a subject I think uh, a society has been avoiding, and it's good to avoid it. I I am against easy medically assisted suicide. I don't think that it's obviously an incredibly difficult societal, cultural, and ethical uh, area. Um, I think we can all agree in the most extreme cases, incredible suffering, no chance of recovery. You might say medical assistance in dying or maid, as they call it in Canada, is justified. It's just the slippery slope that it produces, right? That it creates a horror situation where, from the stories I read, people that are uh, mental, you know, have, have are suffering from depression or simply don't have much money are applying for this just to die because they don't enjoy their life. That seems to be um, a bit much. Apparently, they even have an, a, some level of it in New Jersey, though you don't hear much about it. But anyway, for me, I'm somewhat older now, and I'm I've been sort of doing all right with it, I guess. I mean, 
What do you want? There's old and then there's old. I mean, there's 50, then there's 60, then there's 70, and then there's 80, and then there's 90, and there's 100. Rosalind Carter just died today, Jimmy Carter's wife. He's still alive at 99. Rosalind Carter at 96 just passed away. You're, you're pretty fortunate if you get to that age. And look at my grandmother, my, my father's mother, Betty Nora. It's 97 and was actually doing all right until about the past year or two. She was no Alzheimer's, all t- with it, living on her own in her own house. She was, uh, and she never went to a nursing home. She had hospice in her own house and, uh, you know, towards the end there. It was that joke Woody Allen told about life because, you know, she's sort of like neurotic and death obsessed and, you know. These two old women were at at a, at a restaurant and, and uh, one you know, the, the food comes and, and one of them says, the food here is so terrible. And the other one says, I know. And such small portions. Yeah. Getting older. I know, my hair is getting gray. My hair is thinning. Ay, ay, ay. What the hell? Just take it day by day, whatever. And keep doing the shows here. The Overnightscape, Overnightscape Central, Onsug Radio. We're going to live forever through our work. Well, our voices will be around forever. Maybe we won't be around forever. We're going to live forever. Oasis, one of those bands that has... Talk about getting old. That band has not necessarily aged well. You know, some bands just get better and better, like Tears for Fears. Other bands, eh, they don't sound as good now, like, like Oasis. It happens, I'm telling you. See, our music is getting older, too. <laughs> yes, kitty, playtime. Back to you, PQ. Yeah, it, it's it's something, this whole, and, and the whole idea of an afterlife. I don't know, I've gone back and forth, and it could be this, and of course there's the whole thing that the artist Shaman Q, Iakel, whatever, uh, uh, espouses, and I, I just... I have never really locked in to, okay, I believe this is going to happen. I've never been a strong believer in anything that I can't, like, touch and see and at least imagine. And I just, a lot of the things that uh, Q and Twyla talk about, I'm glad they have that because it really seems to give them strength and make them continue to be creative and active and do things. I mean, it's beautiful to be able to believe in something like that. But I have yet to find something that really, you know, uh, uh, at, at least, you know, I may have started on a path in believing in something, having some sort of long-term permanence, all of the things that I thought were like, okay, this is just going to go on forever. Suddenly you realize that they don't. I, it's as simple as, you know, when I was a kid, who thought that the Ed Sullivan show or the wonderful world of Disney wouldn't be on every Sunday night for the rest of eternity? Um, I mean, the, the Simpsons may be on for the rest of eternity, 
Uh, that's a viable possibility in our world. But, you know, these radio hosts that I thought would just be there, these concepts uh, that I thought would exist forever, they don't. They're gone. They're uh, people move on. Uh, Larry King, who would have thought that, you know, he seemed to be an old guy from day one, but there he was uh, doing his thing, and there he went. And now it's only a few years since uh, Larry King passed, and already he is fading into some strange obscurity. All of these things that were a part of at least the culture that I believed in, primetime TV, good Lord, in the 70s, I had it in my head that there would be these sitcoms and uh, the, the movie of the week, and uh, a person could spend the rest of their life just going along and picking between the three channels and finding some sort of fulfillment and entertainment about that. And yes, things came and went, but then it was something you could talk about. Uh, and it's all like, gone, gone. And uh, for the time being, I guess, yeah, the overnightscape central as we have known it uh, is uh, at least temporarily gone. Uh, this is it. Um, and yet, I do like the idea that I have this huge legacy that I, I am forever indebted in ways to Frank Edward Nora, although in ways the fact that it lingers all the stuff I was wrong about, all the things I was passionate about that turned out to be meh, and uh, the repetitions, uh, because you forget you talked about something a couple of years ago and you just say it over. I mean, even Gene Shepard did it. Uh, intentionally or unintentionally in his, what, 20 years on and off of doing night radio, that the human memory, even a sharp and good human memory, is still pretty subjective and pretty uh, not so... I mean, I don't know that it would be good if we remembered everything with this total accuracy, but that's a whole other subject. So, uh, yeah, I uh, normally at this point in the program, I would be telling you what we're going to do next week and how to do it and all of that. But uh, there, uh, at least at this point, next week will be the first week uh, for sure in years that there just will be no program like this. Um, like I say, I, I could be back. I just feel so strange closing this and it just going into the wind. But uh, all good things must come to an end, as the cliche goes. And perhaps I will uh, be back with uh, more centrals or something new. Uh, I reckon I'll be showing up on the exit ramps as Frank does them. And if you've got uh, any concepts or anything that you feel... Uh, I could participate in, especially, I mean, part of it is just the recording and talking into a microphone X amount of time here and there. It, it's the, it, the, the, the writing, the show description, the graphic, posting it, then posting it on Facebook, this ritual of repetition 
uh, maybe is part of what's wearing. I don't know. Um, it's it's really hard to say because I was in this zone for so long where everything was pretty much remaining the same and I had this false sense of stability and continuity. And the last couple of years between COVID, uh, my work changes, my health changes, uh, this idea that I was going to do this, that, or the other, and these things turning out to be not so easily accomplished and maybe even impossible. It, you know, I, I at one point uh, within the last couple of years really thought that uh, I could pull things together and work at it and move to Europe, relocate, and start a whole new life. But it's not that simple. I think there used to be a time when it was a lot simpler. And now, I mean, it's just, who knows? Who knows where I am going to be in a year, in six months? And that's okay, really. Well, it'll have to be. But I'm not quite in a panic. But things are changing. And uh, I have to thank everyone whoever participated in the Overnightscape Central. Uh, it's all in the archive. If I start uh, remembering names and not remembering names and all of that, that's probably not cool. But uh, it's been an incredible run here on the Overnightscape Central. This experience is something that I take a pride in. I mean, I have done what, 13 years altogether of programming that entertained people and uh, inspired people to participate and some really interesting people, uh, fascinating accounts and monologues and ideas have passed through here. And uh, as long as the internet and internet archive persist, uh, I sort of think it will uh, somehow be floating and there will be these hard drives although who knows they'll be like 78s or old transcription discs or old like Betamax tapes that even if somebody finds them they'll have to have some translation who knows but uh well I I could go on and on but it's best to just say thanks for listening Set the controls for the heart of the fun and uh, farewell for now, but not forever. <laughs>